All right, if you will bring your conversations to a close, we are gonna jump into our word for today. My name is Zach, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch Dallas, and I just want to encourage you and congratulate you this morning. As a church, we have been on a 21-day journey of prayer and fasting, where week one, we fasted from food in order to feast on Jesus. Week two, we fasted from media in order to saturate our minds with something better. I would say week two was the hardest for me, honestly. I was like, good night, this is hard, and I have a problem. You might have one too, Let me put my phone down. And it was great. Week three was fasting from negativity, uh, and I, I, I made it mostly through. I think I had one or two negative comments. I repent for those, but it was great just to focus on things that are positive. And I know so many of y'all jumped in on the fast. Today is our last day as we've had our World Mandate weekend. And uh, this has been one of the richest World Mandate weekends that I've been to in a long time. The Lord's moving powerfully in our midst, and so many of you got to be a part of that and I'm really excited for what God's going to continue to do coming out of World Mandate. And uh, one of the things that I'm especially excited about today is we have one of my favorite preachers, Susan Peters, here to preach the word to you. And if you don't know Susan, you're going to get to meet her in just a moment. A wonderful friend of our church, spoken in our training schools, spoken to us as a community before. And she's going to be here today uh, preaching God's word and sharing with us uh, about a number of topics, including Unbound. And she won't promote herself, but I will promote her. Uh, she just wrote uh, not her first book, but one of her books called Unbound. And it tells the story of the anti-sex trafficking ministry that Antioch has started and it gives simple and practical ways that you and I can be involved in putting an end to sex trafficking here in our city. That's available in the lobby, but I'll give one away to anyone who wants it who's stirred up. Okay, right there. I can't see because of the light, but come on forward. There you go, Bethany. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. So, Susan, why don't you come on up? Will you guys give her a warm welcome? All right. Susan, let me pray for you, and then we can get started. Jesus, we're so thankful for Susan. We're so thankful for the work of grace you've done in her life and what you're doing through her with the Unbound uh, ministry, Lord. God, and I pray that you would give her grace right now. You'd fill her with the Holy Spirit to speak your word to us, and we have open hearts and tender hearts to receive what you're saying today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You Thank you. Well, these guys are definitely some of my favorite in the whole Antioch movement. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> So awesome. So great to be with you guys. The worship was amazing. Wow. It was so good. You guys are blessed here for sure. And, and I love the joy box, the giving box. That's great. I think we should borrow that all around. So anyway, I'm so happy to be here. And um, my husband couldn't be with us today because he is absolutely dedicated to his small group at church in Waco. So <laughs> he was ministering to the kids this um, over World Mandate, and he wanted to finish up well. But we he says, tell everybody hello. So um, I'm honored to be with you, especially World Mandate Weekend. I mean, I don't know how many of you were here. Most of you? Yeah? Okay. Um, and I agree with you guys. I think it was one of the best ones we've ever had. And when we had prayer as leaders before it, I was looking at the room just with the speakers and just had this sense. There was such humility in the room because everyone is so aware of our own brokenness and our own weakness. And the only thing good that comes out of us is Jesus. And he is the one who wants to display his glory through us in unique ways. And I just think it was just a whole new level of people just saying, but, but the grace of God. 
And so I just, I just knew we were going in and God was going to move in a powerful way. And I think he did. And so exciting to see people mobilized and envisioned to love each other better, to love the Lord better, to live on mission, whether that's going overseas or strengthening the bodies here, um, whatever it is that we are committed as a people to do it. Amen? Amen. All right. And so I just want to share a little bit about my story. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home um, and uh, didn't grow up going to church. In fact, my family was far from God. Um, My grandparents on both sides were alcoholics. My dad was an alcoholic. Uh, My twin brother has continued. He's not free yet. You can pray with him. Um, is on the streets and actually here in Dallas as an alcoholic. And um, the other siblings, um, very broken lives, um, sister and a brother um, in homosexuality, both have passed on. Um, My mom struggled with mental illness. And in my immediate family, we had, I think, 12 divorces before I was, like, starting junior high. So a lot of relational brokenness. I mean, we were in desperate need of Jesus, And um, I was fortunate when I was 10 years old, my babysitter, anybody out there that babysits or engages with children, that's why we're really committed to ministering to kids, because I don't know where I would be if she hadn't shared Jesus with me at 10. And she just simply said, "Do do you know what a Christian is? And I said, no. And she said, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything and every person. But He gave his son, Jesus, to come to the earth and live a sinless life. But he died on the cross because of sin that separated us from God. And if you'll just ask God to forgive you, ask Jesus to come into your heart, he will be with you forever. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. And I was like, sounds good. And at 10 years old, I just accepted that. And I know that I know that I know it took at 10. Because the gospel is the power unto salvation. And so just simple, you know, does it make sense? Do I understand it? Did I understand it? No, but it's still, it's the power of the cross. And so I look back and I had, you know, I had a twin. Most of our life we were together, but he wasn't with me that day. And of course, I've preached the gospel to him many times. He's coming in. But I just think the trajectory of my life was forever changed. And I remember I loved Jesus. And I remember sharing with my Jewish next door neighbor that same gospel and she accepted Jesus. I fully expect to see her in heaven, right? And um, I loved him, and I would talk to Jesus, and I had a single mom, and we didn't have very much. And I know this doesn't look like very much, but this is my red satin pillowcase I had as a 10-year-old. It's a little tethered because I am 56 this month. So, um, and, But I love this red satin pillowcase, and I would lay on it, and I'd say, Jesus, I'll come and do your hair like this if you want to come share my special pillowcase with me. And I just loved Jesus as a child. And so I have kept this all these years as a memorial, something to remind me to never lose that first love. But I discovered something. I didn't know any other Christians. I didn't go to church. No one ever asked me if I wanted to go to church. And so as I grew up, I loved Jesus as much as I knew how, but I wasn't taught the Word of God or anything that would really help me in my life choices. So as I was growing and getting in junior high and high school, I was sexually abused during that time. 
I, alcohol started coming in. There was so much dysfunction around me trying to make sense of my world without the teaching of the Word of God or seeing the people of God. And so I, at 15, got a boyfriend who was 22. Somebody say, uh-uh. But my mom struggled with bipolar and wasn't present. My dad wasn't present, didn't have anyone around to tell me how dangerous that was, super controlling, not a good, healthy situation. But by the grace of God, he actually went to Baylor. And so I would go down and stay with him for the weekend and go down there. And that wasn't a good situation. But God used it. He uses all things together for good, even those hard things in our life. Amen. I mean, the very... Hardest things. I mean, look at me now with the sexual dis- dysfunction and abuse doing sex trafficking. Look at God. And I just think he tells us over and over again, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of what you've been through. That is the very thing when God heals you and delivers you, he will anoint you. And believe me, I am fierce about pulling out people out of the spirit of darkness and that debauchery and setting them free. Right? I mean, that fire gets in you, so, so don't be ashamed of what you've been through. We need to say it. I mean, the word's pretty clear. I mean, David and all his sin is right out for us to read, because, but by the grace of God, where would we be? Where would we be? And so I came to Baylor, and I, was, I just saw really victorious Christians, people who really love Jesus. And I started going to church with people, and I was like, wow, how do you do this? How do you follow Jesus? And I went back for the weekend, and I was borrowed a roommate's car, and I went out and shouldn't have been where I was. And when I came back, I got lost trying to go back to my mom's house. I had grown up in North Dallas, Richardson, all my life. Now, we had lived in about eight different places, but they were, like, all in the same neighborhood. I don't know if any of you from single homes, you know, you gotta, you're in one apartment, and you go across town to live in the other one. That's $50 cheaper, Right. And then we'd live in a duplex. We actually lived in both sides of a duplex in two types. I mean, because of chaos, right? And anyway, I got lost, and all of a sudden, the paved road became a dirt road. There were no street signs, and I didn't think I could turn the car around. I'm like, where am I? And all of a sudden, I ran into a metal blockade that said dead end. And I, to this day, don't know if it was an audible voice, but the voice of God came in the car. And the presence of God came in the car. And that little girl that loved Jesus sprung up. And the Spirit of God said, you're going in, you're to a dead-end road just like your family. You turn around and follow me. And somehow I turned that car around and I came home and walked in the house. And I was crying. And my mom was like, what happened? And I said, I met Jesus. I'm going to follow God. I mean, it was a gripping and I found a scripture after that that I really love. It's in the message in Exodus 20, 20, And it says, Moses spoke to the people. Don't be afraid. God has come to test you and instill a deep, reverent awe within you so that you won't sin. You know, the fear of God, the scripture says, makes us hate evil. And I discovered something that love alone wasn't enough to keep me. I needed the fear of the Lord. And that's what kept me. And then I went back and um, just started to asking people about that were followers of Jesus, how do you do this? And met friends. That's where Laura and Jimmy and the Francins and some of us old timers that are still around started learning how to follow Jesus. And we went to church every time the doors were open. I mean, Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, life group. I mean, every time we could because we were desperate, desperate. 
And I don't know where I would be without those relationships, without the church going and seeing the mamas and the papas. You know, we need the old timers in our church. I'm so thankful for all the young people, but we need the old timers because I needed to see some older people that are following Jesus knowing I could be a lifelong follower of Jesus. I needed to see marriages that made it through the hard times with Jesus and they were restored and living in healthy family. I needed to know you could do that. So we need the church. We needed the friendships that were that iron that sharpens iron. And let me just tell you, it wasn't perfect. And it's probably not perfect here either because family's messy. My family was messy, but the church is a people in process, right? But it's the commitment to say we're going hard after Jesus, and we're going to learn, and we're going to grow together. We're going to, I learned how to forgive. I had to forgive myself. I had an abortion when I was 15 and just all that. I had to forgive the ones that abused me. I had to learn how to forgive. It was the body of Christ that taught me how to do that. Where would we be without the preaching of the word? The word that strengthens us and is like fire that burns off that flesh. We need to be in that corporate place. And I know it's popular to have podcasts and get fed. And we've got great podcasts. We put our stuff out on podcasts. We want people to be fed. But it is no substitute for the body of Christ. We've got to have one another. We've got to have life on life. We've got to learn how to love each other. And I, I can't imagine where I would be without that. I'm so, so thankful. And I also think about the church. What else does it offer? I had no idea how to live as a young adult, how to pay bills. I mean, just the normal things that I learned within the body of Christ. Learning how to get married. It's the churches that do premarital counseling and premarital classes or marriage classes, parenting classes, addiction classes. Our churches are so full of help for the people, aren't they? And people in our congregations get a passion for these things. They grow in these things. They get delivered from some of these things. So they have anointing to help and restore. And that's what our city needs. It's the church, not just the podcast. We need the body. And we need to be those life-giving places. And I'm so, so thankful. And so in 2001, I, I have four daughters. And they're grown now. Three of them are married, following Jesus, and amazing, amazing women of God. I stayed home for 10 years with them, and then I um, went on staff at Antioch Waco on our church staff and just did whatever, whatever was needed to be done. It's an honor to serve Jesus if you are wiping tables for a meeting. I still love doing that. I still love doing that. Or if I can meet with one person struggling, there's, that's an honor. Or if I get asked to preach the word, that's an honor. So I just want to say, serve wherever you are. Your gift will make room for you. And we need everybody at their station doing what God says. And so part of my job on staff was to travel around and visit the missionaries all over the world. And when I did, I just started seeing human trafficking everywhere. I would go to Uganda, and I met child soldiers. I mean, young men who at first I was so intimidated. It was so, so barbaric what they did. But they were young boys that were in villages that were just normal but got kidnapped by the LRA and forced to be child soldiers. And it was the church there in that community that was restoring and healing these young men. It was beautiful. 
But then I went to Thailand, went to Cambodia, went to India. Everywhere was human trafficking. I just kept crying out to the Lord, Lord, what can we do about this? I don't want to be absent. Because if you look back the transatlantic slave days or you look back you different things that have happened, where was the church? You know, there may have been a few people of God, but where was the church at large? Where were our communities standing up and protecting those? And I just kept saying, Lord, as a movement, what can we do? We've got to be a part of the answer. And so that's why we started Unbound. And that's when God started breaking my heart and really putting the compassion of Jesus in my heart for this. Now, I want to be really honest. Compassion doesn't really come easily for me. Like some of you just drip compassion, right? Y'all know those people? And then there's others of us that had to learn. And my husband is one of those that drips compassion. I mean, sweet, sweet, loving, kind. I mean, he is awesome, right? And um, when we got married, um, on the rare occasion that I would get like a stomach bug and throw up. Sorry, just going to be honest here. Everybody does that occasionally, right? So he literally jumps up, runs to my aid, holds my hair back, gets a wet washcloth. Like, he is amazingly compassionate. I mean, off the charts, right? So on the couple of times that that's happened to him in the 31 years that we're married, I try to do that. I really do. I, I'm thinking if he does that for me, that's probably what he wants. And so I run in there, and I try, and have you ever had the horrible experience of getting the giggles at the worst moment? <laughs> Seriously, is there anyone in here that, that's happened where you just start laughing, and you're like, it is so inappropriate. <laughs> oh, my goodness, why am I laughing? And I do that if he gets hurt or he gets sick. And so I'm in the bathroom, and I'm like, honey, do you want... He's like, get out of here. Just get out of here. I mean, it's horrible. Oh, my goodness. It's, I feel so bad for him. Well, obviously, throughout our marriage and um, ministry, I have grown in that. I don't go to him when he gets sick because, praise God, he doesn't get sick much. But I've grown, all right, and I've grown in compassion. But it didn't come naturally. But I want to talk to you about compassion in action, which is a key part of the church's response to a hurting world. And as I share, I wanted to ask you to ask yourself this question. Do I have no compassion, little compassion, or active compassion? At Unbound, we regularly receive phone calls from victims of human trafficking. And sometimes the calls come from mothers whose daughters are being trafficked. Sometimes it's from law enforcement where they've recovered someone. It's a school teacher may call and recognize signs of human trafficking. And one case that really marked me was we had done a prevention training. We do a ton of prevention because, to me, that is so, so important. And we trained a hospital ER, and the social worker called us and said, we have a suspicious situation here, and I need a, a detective to come. And so I called one of our detectives, and we went to the hospital. And this is one of the only kidnapping cases we have because normally they're lured into human trafficking, not literally kidnapped. But this kid had been kidnapped. And so the detective and I went and um, just sat there with the mom and the grandmother and just heard this terrible, terrible story of what she had went to. She was in terrible shape. 
she needed a safe place to go. And so my team really got on it and was looking at it and um, finding her a place. And then the next day, I went back up to the hospital to tell them about what we could offer them. And I remember sitting outside the door, just standing there, just going, what do you do in these moments? This family, this young girl had been the most, through the most horrific situation, but they needed comfort and compassion. In Psalms 34, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And so much needed to happen, and thankfully, we were able to find a safe place for her, and, and now she is in community college and continuing to get counseling and doing well. But not every situation turns out like this. Sometimes we don't have solutions or resources. Sometimes our victims aren't ready to receive help. But what I've found day after day, case after case, everywhere we go, whatever city we're serving in, is that what's important is to show up and to be present and to listen and to be the compassionate Jesus to them. And the, the power of presence is one of the most powerful things we can do even when we don't know what to do. And God has honored that. So compassion to me is in action is committing to not walk away even when things seem really, really dark, really intense, and even hopeless. Because Sometimes we see hopeless situations. Someone's hurting, their marriage is falling apart, their kid's having a really difficult time. And in the natural, we can say, this looks hopeless. But our God is a resurrecting, healing, delivering, supernatural God. And that's what we carry in those situations. And sometimes just carrying that into that space is the most powerful, compassionate thing we can do. I want us to look at a familiar scripture passage. Um, it's the Good Samaritan from Luke 10, 30 through 37, and I'm going to read it to us. It says, There was once a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when robbers attacked him, stripped him, and beat him, leaving him half dead. And it so happened that a priest was going down that road, but when he saw the man, he walked on by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite also came along, went over, and looked at the man, and then walked up on the other side. But a Samaritan who was traveling that way came upon the man, and when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own animal, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Take care of him, he told the innkeeper, and when I come back this way, I will pay whatever else you spend on him. And Jesus concluded, which one of these three acted like a neighbor towards the man attacked by the robbers? Now, this story leaves us with some questions, like who was this injured man? What happened to him? Was he in a deal gone bad? Was it his fault? I mean, we don't know what happened. Had he made bad choices that got him into this situation? What we know is that he was brutally beaten. He was left for dead. And he probably wouldn't have made it unless someone had compassion and intervened. We know that the priest saw him first, a religious man. But his religion was in his head and not in his actions. No compassion. 
And then we see the Levite who at least had a little compassion. He went over to him and looked at him like, wow, dude, looks bad. What happened to him? He needs help. But he didn't have it in him to extend compassion that would risk his safety or his resources or his time, and he left. Let me tell you about something about compassion. For me, it's helping victims of human trafficking. And sometimes the victims are sweet young boys and young girls that really respond to the help that we have for them and the resources that are available to them. But oftentimes, it is quite the opposite. They have been betrayed by every relationship they know, and they don't want to have anything to do with us. They are rough around the edges. Sometimes we can find easy resources and answers, and other times we can spend months trying to find the right things, and it just doesn't work out, and it's very, very heartbreaking. Sometimes we, like the priest or the Levite, want to walk away because it is so, so difficult. It's uncomfortable. It can be overwhelming, and it shows us the ugliness of our world, and then sometimes it pushes on the very wounds of our own soul, and that makes us want to go away from it. But to me, compassion in action is that we have to overcome those things. We have to tap into that compassion of Jesus and be there and be present. Before we started Unbound in 2012, I had a lot of arguments with the Lord that I was not the right person to take up this charge. And I just thought, with my history, I don't really want to hear all these bad stories. I really kind of like having fun and doing more positive things, you know. I mean, I had a lot of excuses. And when I kept hearing about the children that are in these brothels, these little boys that are in these fishing camps, just brutal, brutal, brutal in these other countries, and then learning about how much is happening in our own schools, in our own community, I just couldn't get away from it. I thought, Lord, I'll do it. If you need me, I will do it. Someone else can do every job that I do, but I will do this. And then I remember uh, I was reading a book, still kind of wondering, Lord, can I do this? And there's a book by Jill Briscoe called Jonah and the Worm. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's the story of Jonah ter ter told from the worm's perspective. And the worm is saying, I don't want to go to Nineveh. They're so mean. They're brutal. They're, they're murderous. They don't, they don't deserve any help. I don't want to go. But finally, he yielded in obedience to God to go to that very dark and scary place. And as he went, he started glowing. And he was like, I'm a glow worm. I didn't even know it. And then this one line in the book, it says, you don't know what can come out of you until darkness surrounds you. And it was like a rhema word that even if I felt little bitty like a worm, that spirit of God could shine great light in darkness. And I'm so glad that we did because our simple yes has now translated to hundreds and even thousands of victims multiplying across cities in our nation and now internationally. And we're believing God for more. Amen? Amen. Our simple yes in obedience, as weak as we are, is powerful in the hands of a mighty God. I am so, so thankful that we said yes. Another place of growing in compassion are not only the victims, but the perpetrators of this horrible thing of human trafficking. These are both the buyers 
of human traffickers, trafficking victims and the sellers. And I could tell you ridiculous names of traffickers and pimps and the way they operate their business and the buyers and the demographics that the demographics of the buyers of children and young girls and young women and boys that's perpetuating human trafficking are mostly educated white males. People even in our congregations, we do, we've done stings, arrested over 400 buyers just in our own community. And we, one short season, this, we do this with the sheriff's office and Waco PD. We had someone from the sheriff's office, assistant constable, full uniform, and his gun buying a teenager. We had someone from the Waco Police Department, and we had someone from our own congregation on staff. It was heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because it is such an addiction because of pornography driving up the demand and it's driving the people. And there's such a place for us as the house of God to restore men in our hour. We've got to be out there. I, I love what we do with Unbound because a lot of what we do is prevention. We've educated over 30,000 kids across Texas. We're doing assemblies where they haven't done assemblies in five years because they are seeing trafficking victims in all of their schools and they're asking us to come. And in our training is talks about being safe from trafficking, about social media safety, about sexting. It is absolutely prolific in our, in our schools talks about the addictive components of pornography and how it rewires the brain, but how you can have it rewired back. It is such amazing messages that we are able to go in there with. And they're not faith-based in our curriculum, but we are Holy Ghost faith-based when we go in there. And it's amazing what we've been able to do. And I love that we get to go into these places. So compassion and action is looking into these dark and sometimes hopeless situations of our world and people's lives and believing that there is hope and there is healing and there is restoration. Our God is a God of justice. He can take care of that. We just have to be his hands and feet to go into these places. Early on in Unbound, also, I got a call from a mom that she described the situation about her daughter being in college and then got in a bad situation and then ended up on the streets and got picked up by traffickers. And then she was arrested in Waco as a trafficker. And so I remembered seeing this on the front page of the newspaper. And so I went to go see her at, in the jail. And she was only 21, but she looked like she was 15 because they take... Traffickers take advantage of our most vulnerable population usually. And as I talked to her and we secured a safe house for her to go to, we worked with the DA to see her as a victim. Most of the time, a victim that's been in there a long time has to become the trafficker. And she had helped recruit minors out of our group home. And she was a victim that had to do that. And so she went to a safe house. She did wonderful for about 18 months there, came out. We've continued to support her. And now she has worked for Unbound for the last three years. Isn't that amazing? And she's written her book called Surviving the Life that We Have. And we are so proud of the restoration and the life that she has with us and so thankful. I want to look at a few scriptures about compassion. Mark 6, 34 says, When Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them. Again, in Matthew 14, 14, When Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. 
Mark 1.40 says, filled with compassion for the leper, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Each time the compassion of Jesus moved him to action. Sometimes it was to teach or to heal or to provide, but each time he, bound, he was there in his presence, binding up their broken hearts with his presence and his love, and that moved him to action. And we don't know what the end results were for all his actions. We know that not everyone he touched and healed thanked him and dropped everything and served him forever. Some did, but we know that some don't. But the people's response didn't dictate Jesus' compassion. The heart of God did. And so sometimes my team, will, we went, one summer we had f three 14-year-olds that were trafficked that we were trying to help. And we lost all three of them. We never got them connected to the resources. And I remember they came in and they're like, why do we do this? And I was like, because Jesus wants us to do this. And we're going to learn, and we're going to get better, and God's going to increase wisdom and understanding and anointing so we can help more. And now we are helping more, but we've got to not be moved by what we see. We move because of the Word of God. Amen? And so we do that. I want to look at the gospel when it talks about compassion. It mentions compassion 12 times. And we often think about compassion as feeling sorry for someone. But the Greek word is splamechia. And it's the strongest word for love. And it actually is derived from the word guts, intestines, or bowels. So that connects my story of Marty to you guys. <laughs> it's only used to describe Jesus. And it can be translated, he was gutted. His heart broke. So to me, this compassion is very physical and deeply emotional. It's allowing God to move us in our inner being with the compassion of Christ for a broken world. And we have to lift up our eyes off of ourself and onto him. And he puts that in us and it will move us into the places he wants us to. And then the miraculous way of God is when we walk in that obedience, we get more whole. We get more healed. And then we're more alive than ever when you see people walk out their destiny, like Julia writing her book and speaking all over and setting more captives free. That's awesome. I love that God does that. And so God moves with compassion on us. He cares deeply about the suffering of each one of us in this room and the suffering of those outside the house of God. Our suffering may be a broken relationship or sickness, a loss of a job or a death of a loved one. It may be an addiction or sin that is hurting us or those that we love. And Jesus has compassion for us, and he will reach out to us and deliver us. We just keep coming to the house. Keep on coming. It will come. Deliverance will come. And because we know that he sees and he knows and he feels and is moved by our suffering, we can have the courage to open up our hearts and see and feel the pain of others and move towards them. We know that compassion and moving in ministry outside the church is, is not new to the church. Sometimes people are like, oh, church, stay out of the, the social services or the, the, the needs out there. But I want to say that's the very place we need to be. 
We need to be out there. And we have history that shows us this too. In the early 1800s, it was the church that started hospitals. It was the nuns and the monks that cared for the sick. And that's why so many hospitals are the Baptist and the Methodist and the Catholic hospitals. It was the church that started Sunday school or schools to teach children reading because they saw the illiterate children knowing they were in for a destiny of poverty if they weren't taught. And so it was the church that taught them how to read. And that's why it was the church that established Harvard and Princeton and Yale and so many other schools. When the orphan crisis erupted in America in the early 1800s, there were 30,000 orphans in New York. And it was a Christian man, a pastor, who rose up and said, we've got to do something about this. And God gave him a vision of putting those children on trains, the orphan trains, sending them to a community, getting the pastor of that community to go get those orphans, bring them to the church, and ask the people in the house of God to adopt the children, love them, raise them in the fear of the Lord, teach them the word of God, and give them an education so they had a total different trajectory in their life. And so we are made to reach out into our communities. This is what God has for us. I'm so thankful for what God has done through Unbound. But my hope for you is that you'll leave ready to commit to a life of compassion and action, however God is calling you. And that you won't run away from those who are absolutely suffering. They're those that look in the natural to be impossible. There was a judge that I'm actually having in next in two months, and I love this man. He's in Colorado, and he is on the National Human Trafficking um, Committee out of D.C., and I heard him speak, and he is a survivor of sex trafficking. And he had other men that were talking. It was a, another a lawyer, a social worker. There was three survivors. One of them had been through 34 foster homes. One of them was critically addicted to drugs until into his adult life, but now all three were delivered. And he said, if you can't look at those kids and these people that are suffering and see them as a great parent, as the next teacher, as a judge, a doctor, or whatever God can make out of them, then you need to get out of this. And that's what the people of God bring to the table. We have the hope of God. We have been delivered, and so we know our God can deliver others. Amen? So I just want to pray over us, and I think Zach's going to come up. I'll go ahead and pray, and you do whatever you're going to do. (laughs) Why don't we stand? Jesus, we love you, and we honor you in this place. God, thank you for Antioch, Dallas. Thank you for this thriving, life-giving church. God, thank you for the worship. Thank you for the life group leaders. Thank you for those that are giving their lives to minister to the children so that their parents can hear the word of God. Lord, we want to be a strong, vibrant, life-giving church in Dallas. And God, we want to go outside the doors and we want to have your eyes and move with the compassion of Christ to restore marriages, to restore the broken children, to snatch out those that are in human trafficking. Wherever you call us, God, we say, yes, use us. And God, for those that are hurting right now, we just ask, would your compassion reach down and breathe hope, breathe life. God, show them that they are going to get through this. Show them that there are brothers and sisters in this house that will be 
their partner to pray with them, to love them, and to see them through. God, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Susan. We're going to go to God. We're going to respond together. I don't know about you, but my heart's just um, open and tender before God saying, I don't know what it looks like, but I want to respond. And the scripture calls us uh, to not shrink back, to not shrink back to whatever he's calling us to do. So we're going to go to God um, by taking communion. And whatever uh, it looks like, it begins with saying yes to Jesus and looking at him as an example. Uh, And it and communion is a reminder of that, of this word compassion, splamikia, that he, uh, though rich, became poor for our sake so that we might know him, so that we might be saved. And that's, that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel, is that Jesus uh, <laughs> endured the cross for the joy set before him, which is uh, one of those things is us and the people in the world. And so I want to invite the officiants to come up. And I just recognize as well, just in this place, there's people on all different parts of their journey with God. And and we are so glad that you're here at any point. But if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, he's inviting you today. And just like Susan explained, God is the creator of heaven and earth. And he made you, he made you for relationship. He designed a life in which your heart was filled with him. There's brokenness, there's brokenness inside us, there's brokenness outside us that sin caused that we can't clean up ourselves. We can't uh, be good enough to ever be holy like him. But the Holy One came down and he took our sin upon him so that we might receive his righteousness and be restored to relationship. And he invites us that if you accept by faith, you might be a children, a child of God, that we could be joining the family of God. So I just wanna invite everyone to bow their heads and just give us a moment in wherever you are just to, to thank him. And if, you, if, if today is the day that you're like, I'm ready, I wanna, I wanna invite him in. I just wanna invite you to pray along with me. And I'll just invite all the congregation to pray along as well. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for coming in compassion for me. I receive your love and sacrifice forgiveness of sins that you gave on the cross for me. I receive you today. Have my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you're ready, I'm going to invite you to come to the front uh, and take communion. And we're going to continue in worship. You can uh, take communion and then go back to your seats.